electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Sarah, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the relentless rise in rates and what it means for stocks. As several of our committee members now make key moves in their portfolios, we'll tell you all about that, of course. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal. Give you a look at the markets here. Uh, we're right around the lows of the day for the Dow. You see here down one and a quarter percent, uh, S&P down one and a half percent. So what a difference a day makes for NASDAQ, right? Rates up yesterday. NASDAQ was hanging in there as there was a bid to those mega cap names. Not so much today. Take a look at that. One and three quarters percent uh, decline for NAS. And there's at the bottom, 478, 10-year note yield. We have fresh cycle highs really across the curve today. And that is a considerable story. We're going to get to all of that. First, though, I do have breaking news on General Motors. I do want to get to Phil LeBeau, who has that for us. Hi, Phil. Scott, we've got Q3 sales for General Motors going up 21% compared to the third quarter of last year, with EV sales jumping 28% compared to the second quarter of this year. Why are we seeing increased sales? A big part of it is better production. The supply chain has improved year over year. As a result, GM's inventory at the end of the third quarter, the strongest since Q3 of 2020. That will be relevant as the UAW strike plays out in the days and weeks to come. One last note, GM, Scott, says that it sees Q3 sales for the industry overall in the U.S. at 15.5 million vehicles. That's an indication that the consumer has rebounded considerably compared to where it was in Q2 and last year. Phil, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Phil LeBeau. Uh, we saw the stock moving intraday, really not moving on the sales numbers, but certainly um, being impacted quite substantially over the last uh, few weeks by the, by the ongoing strike. So we'll keep our eyes focused there, obviously. Um, I want to get to you, Jim Labenthal, not, not on GM, mm-hmm. but the fact that you've got the market under pressure. You've got this relentless, as I said, rise in rates, and it's putting big-time pressure on stocks. And yet you've raised your year-end target today on the S&P 500 to 44.50. Yeah. So how do Meld we those two together. I, I will do that. By the way, great discussion yesterday. I know we're on today, but great discussion yesterday. Brian Belsky, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova on which is right. What do rates actually mean and where are the markets going? So obviously I'm with Brian on this. I think that what rates are actually saying right now, Scott, is that economic growth is a lot better than people expected. OK, and that matters for top line revenues at companies. Combine that top line revenues with margins that should be bouncing back as inflation comes down and you're going to see earnings growing again. That's the central thesis of raising the target is you're going to see earnings growing again. Now, that target for year end is based on where we see earnings next year around $250 a share. Put a reasonable multiple 18 times on that. And I do think that's reasonable um, for the economic growth that we're seeing and for the profit growth that we think we're going to see. So ultimately what I'm saying here, I know we want to talk about interest rates and we should. All right. There's a lot of reasons interest rates are going up. I'm not ignorant of what's going on with the deficit and supply. But a very big big reason that interest rates are going up is because economic growth is a heck of a lot better than expected. 
And that does blow through to profits, starting with the top line and then with margins, which repair as inflation comes down. All sounds good. Uh, you can make your case as, as, as you please, obviously. Um, the question is if rates continue to move higher, despite all of that. Yeah. Can stocks yeah. hang in there or not? Are they well, going to get slammed as a result? Step, I mean, you know. Oh, sorry. You want to go to Steph? No, no. I want I want to go to you because, I, I mean, I'm just Let's looking at Steph's reaction to as I'm asking the question. I, she knows exactly what I'm alluding to, yeah. right? This um, intense pressure that rising rates uh, are going to put on stocks, potentially. It's almost a tautology, right? It, to answer your question, if rates continue to go up, then no. Of course, uh, stocks can't uh, hang in there. However, you know, when I was saying this to Steph, and you kind of nodded at me before the show, if you look at a chart of the 10-year yield, I don't know if we've already put it up, but it's, it's doing this, right? It's going parabolic. Every single chart in the financial markets that I've ever seen that does that comes back down. Now, I'm not saying we're going back down to 4.35. What I am saying is, even if rates stay higher, it's a question of, have they gotten close to the top? I think they have. So to your question, if they keep going higher, it's a problem. But I think we're pretty close to the top here. Steph, so what do you, what do you make of you know, this price target bump on the S&P to 44.50? Whether you think that's achievable, um, the likelihood that it's achievable, not that, well, anything can happen. Of course, anything can happen, but what do you think? I mean, I think higher interest rates are just a challenge in general for equities, right? Because you can go out in the marketplace, in the fixed income market, and you can get a four-year muni for 4%. You can get a four-year corporate for 6.1%. So there's competition, right? For the last 10 years, there wasn't any competition. So you have to start to introduce, is, is 60-40 back? Is it where you're supposed to be. It all depends on your risk profile and, and, your, and your age, quite frankly. But there is competition, and I think that's one of the reasons why the markets are struggling. I will also say the speed of rates and the fact that it's gone up so fast, that's taken the markets awfully by, by storm too, right? So, um, but I do agree with Jim that the rates are higher because the economic growth is better. I mean, the ISM number still in contraction yesterday, but the new orders actually grow, grew and prices paid actually fell. And today, the JOLTS number, we still have one and a half job openings out there in this country for one unemployed person. So the job market is certainly still very robust. We'll see what happens on Friday, but Friday's number is backward looking. We look at the initial claims, and we talk about this every week, and that has actually surprised to the upside. So that gives the Fed cover to do whatever the heck they want to do. Is it another 25 from here? Is it, is it 50 from here? They can because the job market, according to them, they can handle it. We'll have to see. But we are going to slow down because rates really are rising very, very quickly. And, and really, it's been surprising at how quickly. Yeah. Josh, how do you see it? So I think, uh, I, I think what Stephanie said is right, you know, is the 60-40 back. And of course, in January, we heard it was dead because bonds had a bad year last year. But the competition from bonds cannot be overstated, especially when you're talking about the wealth management channel where, where I live. Um, you talk to a client who's got a financial plan that you built for them six or seven years ago during a time of low to negative rates around the world. And that client's allocation was very heavily tilted toward equities, and why wouldn't it be? It was the only game in town. You would use treasury bonds for stability so that you could ride out market volatility, LOL, not working so well this year. Um, but predominantly, you were doing REITs, you were doing stocks, maybe you were a little bit out there doing MLPs, but for the most part, you had to do equity risk. You don't have to do that anymore, and you could have that same client Six or seven years have gone by. 
Their goals haven't changed. They're still on pace to retire around the same time. They still want to leave X percent to their kids. They could take substantially less equity risk than they would have had to in 2016, 2017, 2021, et cetera. Uh, and, and still, all of the Monte Carlo simulations that you're running would get them pretty damn close. So the question is, do you want the, the standard deviation that comes along with the S&P or not for 80% of your portfolio. Most people would say, no, I absolutely don't. What else can I do? Well, here's the solution. And when Stephanie talks about a 4% muni on a tax equivalent basis, that could be 5.75% for somebody in the top tax bracket. That's real money, very low risk, almost no volatility. So that's what's going on here. The market has to get used to that. And here's my proof. Nothing that you see going on right now has anything to do with is the economy good or not. 100% has to do with this push and pull over what bond yields are. I'd like you to consider the following. The XLU, the utility sector, this is the new tell for the market. Uh, and it's really astonishing. If you ask me, when was the last time we've seen the XLU deviate this much from the S&P 500 to the downside? The answer would be never. It has never happened. 47% of the utility stocks mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. XLU sector are making 52-week lows. That hit 60% last week. That's where you see this decision point that I'm talking about writ large in these stocks. And it might not be over. The median S&P utility name is a 17 PE right now, which sounds fairly cheap. It's not really cheap historically. They could actually go lower. And that, I think, is really what's jarring the market. The yeah. safest areas of the market are underperforming the risky areas as the VIX ticks higher. This is a very rare situation. Well, they have that's high why. debt levels. Utilities have very high debt levels. That's so right. that's one of the reasons well, why that's why they're doing so terribly. That's why they're selling off. That's right. They have rate risk. I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I heard Santoli okay. make a point earlier um, that, quote, there's nowhere to hide, to, to Josh's point. These areas of traditional defense or safety, like utilities, are not working at all. Um, so they come off the worst day since April of 2020. You saw it down again today. Yeah. And, Josh, it leads me to Next Era Energy. I did mention yesterday that you sold it, but give us some more color yep. on that particular name and, and why you're, you're out at this particular time. So uh, NextEra has been a horrible performer in a sector of horrible performers. It's been a no place to hide sector and it's one of the worst. They have an MLP that trades publicly that they actually just cut the distribution on last week. And it was a really easy decision from there. Um, basically, the utilities are getting squeezed from both directions. They, they have this situation where they're expected to pay out a certain yield. It's never going to be enough to be competitive with where overnight money is right now. They're not going to raise it to that level if, they haven't, if they're not already there already. And then they have uh, rate risk Stephanie was alluding to. They've got to roll debt. These are highly indebted companies. They're infrastructure companies. They have assets. Those assets need to uh, be maintained. And so you've got this like uh, double trouble situation. And I probably should have thought more about that rate situation months ago, but uh, better late than never. What I've been doing over the last few weeks, as, as you'll note on the show, is really getting rid of a lot of things that 
uh, are non-core. Stocks that are, are relatively new in my portfolio. You saw me get out of ITA, you saw me get out of Arista Networks, saw me get out of uh, uh, NextEra. Uh, I think right now this market environment is a greatest hits market environment. That's really all I want to focus on right now. What are the stocks that I want for the long term? What are my greatest hits? And as those stocks trade lower, I need to have the liquidity to own more of them if I'm going to be a longer term investor. I, I can't do anything outside of the greatest hits right now. I just don't see the risk reward. None of the, none of the trends, none of the charts are encouraging for short term anything. Uh, so I really have to focus on what I want to buy more of and mm -hmm. be ready. Which is why, Jim, it's, it's you know, it's, it's um, I don't want to say jarring, but you're seeing what's happening in the market, and yet you're using this opportunity to get more bullish and more optimistic. And I go to Marco Kalanovic yesterday, which we hit on Closing Bell as his note dropped about, you know, why he's remaining as negative as he has gotten. Because in his mind, interest rates are deeply restrictive. These are his words specifically, deeply restrictive. And valuations are just too expensive, especially given where rates are. And with an economy that we know, we know it's going to slow down. We just do. Slow down, yes. We do. Slow down, yes. So Maybe not recession. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I know, I know. Restrictive <laughs> rates, valuations that are expensive relative to where rates are and where the economy is likely to go to. And then the idea that 2024 earnings have gotten so optimistic that, man, you need everything to go right. You need everything to go right mm. to get to okay. where you think we can go. There's the, a good setup. A lot of premises in what you just said. I'm not going to be able to cover them all. But, you know, I think let's go to the earnings because that's the heart of the matter. Uh, are they priced for perfection? Are these projections of roughly 250 a share on S&P 500 next year? Are they realistic? I think when I look at the company results, and that's where I really live, I see a lot of companies that have had earnings estimates going up throughout the year. And I can just, you know, go down that, like Alaska Airlines, right? Wynn Resorts, GM. A lot of companies' earnings uh, expectations have gone up sure, by meaningful. You mentioned Alaska, but Alaska's gotten bludgeoned by these rising oil prices. If you look at but where the, estimates the still stock, going well, maybe the estimates are delusional. Maybe, maybe. Because the oil Wait, price is let real. Let me jump in there. Estimate let me in there. reality, let me, right? I, I gotcha. Now, I'm sorry, you triggered me, right? Because the delusional comment is one that we've been talking about for a year and a half. Well, I didn't say you're delusional. I said the earnings <laughs> estimates. I know, and I you know, know what? But... Earnings estimates, for the most part, have proven to be delusional because they've had no, to come down. Come on, come on, come on. Because when we first started talking about delusional estimates, like last summer, we were talking about a major drop-off in estimates this year. And anybody like me who said, whoa, 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 I don't think it's going to be that bad, we were labeled as delusional. I'm not hurt by it. I'm just saying, like, I'm coming back to it because it's a word that has has often been used when there's a disagreement. And I simply respectfully disagree. What I see at the company level results level are earnings estimates that are going up based on operational results, and I like it. Now, I think to your question also, and you said it had a lot of premises in there, is the multiple, is the market too expensive? I think when you look at certain sectors, you're darn right, okay? So what Josh was saying about utilities, and you know, we go back a year, utilities trading at the mid-20s, low-20s multiples, I will simply tell you that was too expensive. I would say the same thing about consumer staples. But if I look at a lot of the more cyclical areas of the stocks of the stock market, I see single-digit multiples with growth and earnings ahead. And boy, I'm in there. That's that's my that's my conclusion based on what I, mean, I, I see. I think Fang and parts of tech they're priced to perfection. 
They really are, right? You know, I've been selling. Those multiples have come down a bit. They have come down, um, but they're still relatively high, right? I mean, they're down from their 10-year averages, and so that's that's fine. That's like seven stocks, right? Yeah, but seven stocks that that's led the market to date, right? So I think those are priced to perfection. But I do think that energy stocks are not priced to perfection. They've had a nice run in the last month and a half, for sure. But energy is not priced to for for perfection. (laughs) Let me get that out. Industrials are also some industrials, especially with the onshoring that we're talking about, and that is a tailwind. Uh, aviation is actually on fire. I mean, right? it's a long-term. Uh, no one can dispute that it's a long-term tailwind, onshoring, right? The bullish case that you both have made around some of the cyclical areas, yeah. manufacturing, et cetera. Um, but it, it's, it's not a, a near-term tailwind by any stretch. Oh, What's I, I, more of a near-term, near-term directional mover for that, that area is where the economy is going to go. Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, we saw last quarter, and I think the reason why the industrials have done so well and held up um, is because the earnings did come in better than expected, right? So, and now they're, I mean, the, in, the industry, the sector is only up 1% on the year, but I mean, you have to pick and choose which ones you like. I mean, I'm in Boeing and GE, I'm in UPS and a couple of other names. D- John Deere is a fairly new position for me. Um, I, I th- I think you're definitely seeing some tailwinds. Not all, and it, but, but I think it's a 10-year theme, Scott. Really, I really do. This economy stronger than, than any of us are giving credit for. It. I mean, and I, I hear you on the slowdown, okay? And I don't know if the Atlanta Fed is right at 4.9%, but if that's anywhere near I right, mean, of all course, the manufacturing PMIs are below 50. But going in the right, they're going yes. in the right direction. Then, I mean, you they're can't, bottoming. You, you cannot ignore the ISM yesterday at 49. That's you right. can't. Now, and new orders. Let that's me just more mention, important than the, the headline. The bearish macroeconomists are saying it's a blip. Don't believe the 49 ISM. Okay, they're entitled to that opinion and maybe they're right. What I'm saying is I'm looking at the ISM, it looks clearly to me like it's bottoming. You look at things like durable goods orders and the sine qua non is the labor markets. You mentioned it, all right? You've got continuing claims below 1.7 million. We'll get an update tomorrow, but you know, weekly jobless claims at 200,000, the jolts, you pointed that out. Guys, the labor market is the most important That's economic fine. indicator. You know, I don't know. You know, Josh, there are some who, who say it's pretty simple right now. Now, I've mentioned what Tepper told me the other day, and I don't mean to beat it like a dead horse, but um, it's relevant because to him it's really easy. From QE to QT, okay, we've, we've had a paradigm shift in how the last 15 years, for the most part, have been traded on free money, and now we have a different Fed, and now we have a balance sheet that's being, you know, run off rather than bulked up. Mm-hmm. And that's having, as we see every day, a dramatic impact. You pile the issuance on regarding the deficit and everything else, and the lag effects, which have probably yet to take full effect, a consumer, which may be starting to feel some pressure, earnings estimates, which may be overinflated, and to him it's easy. I don't know what the multiple is, my, not my words, his. So what do you do with that? Well, the multiple is a moving target, and the multiple will move up and down, but also so will the, so will the earnings. I think, uh, I think one of the things that's worth pointing out is that the news was uh, as bleak in, or, or things were as uncertain last October, a year from, a year from next week, and the stock market bottomed. And most of the big NASDAQ names doubled off those lows. Uh, and there was no reason, quote unquote, there was no reason. All of the worst predictions about what would happen to earnings 
came true. Earnings went down, uh, I think, two quarters, three quarters in a row for the S&P 500. So the bears were right on earnings, but they were wrong on the demand for a certain type of stock because they couldn't have seen ChatGPT coming along. So I don't know what the catalyst is that gets this correction that we're in to stop on a dime and turn. Maybe it doesn't. I would just point out uh, you almost never know in advance. But again, near term, you're at a, you're at a 20 VIX, not elevated relative to long time history, but elevated relative to this year. Um, this is about as rough as we've seen things outside of the banking panic in March. Every single one of the Treasury durations under three years is yielding 5%. So again, money goes to where it's being treated best. If the deal is, here's an institutional share class money market fund, I'm giving you 5% right now, not, doesn't, not guaranteed forever, but for as long as you sit in it, I'm getting you 5%. You don't have to worry about whether or not the S&P finishes the year strong. That's the hurdle rate for people putting the incremental dollar into the triple Q, into the SPY. That, eight out of 13 treasury durations are yielding greater than 5%. That is the hurdle. And so I think David's right from that standpoint. I just wouldn't go so far as to discount that nothing else could happen that might jar us back into bullishness. I, think, well, I just don't know me, what he, that thing he, might he, be. He's not, he's not saying, you know, first of all, he's not like overwhelmingly negative. But I've said that repeatedly since I spoke to him on, on Friday. So in, in no way, shape or form is he suggesting that in, in any regard. Um, and anything can happen in the market. And one of the big risks to the upside, even people, the firms like Wolf, which have been negative yeah. for every month, they've been negative. Oh, yeah. Okay. Totally wrong. They see major upside risk to their bearish outlook. Why the chase the big seven? Jimmy says there's going to be a rip your face off rally to the end of the year. He's talked about it. He's gotten more invested in some of those magnificent seven names as, as a result of the way he's thinking about it. Is that the... The thing that saves the day? No, profits save. Is it saved. Chase? No, profits save the day. Earnings save the day. Over the long term, stocks follow profits in both directions, Scott. So to Jimmy's point and my point about the economy, that's why it's so important to follow the economy and follow all the data points and feel confident in the consumer, which is such a big part of the economy, 70%, right, and jobs, and the, and the strength in consumer is all on jobs. So that's why we talk about jobs all the time, right? And then you have a little bit of manufacturing blended in there, a couple of themes, right? A little bit of technology. Stay diversified. So I don't know if you're going to get a rip your, your face off rally into the end of the year, but if stocks... That if didn't profits, help you, if, Steph. If profits come in better than expected over the long term, then the market goes higher. Josh? In, 20, in 2022, that didn't help you at all. The, the Nasdaq fell 35% while we added added jobs no, every it, month of the year. It's, but there's no linear. Down, but earnings fell big time. No, for this technology. year. This year, you not said last 2022. year. You said 2022. It, that's, my, that's my point. You said I focus on earnings, I focus on jobs. In 2022, earnings were fine. And no, actually, weren't. we added jobs. The stock market got demolished. Market I, I really. No. I wish it were that simple. It, earnings, no, it is that simple over the long term, Josh. Earnings fell. Especially oh, for Fang, okay. especially he, for technology. He asked you a question about into year end. I, 
He asked you about into year end. Yeah. What and earnings you, are going to bail us out into year end? At you, you brought up 2022. And I'm saying into year end, into next year, if I think profits are going higher, I think ultimately the market goes higher. Might that was my point. easier by saying if you have a recession and profits go down, then you better be bearish. I mean, this is, this is why I responded to you about a slowdown not being a recession. If you get a recession and earnings decline from here, we got problems. Josh, to your point, in 2022, at this time, people, and you know a lot of them and I know a lot of them, were looking at 2023 earnings and saying they're going to be down. They're going to be down year over year. They've come in flat. But there were people who were calling for sub $200 a share on S&P 500 earnings, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. That just didn't happen. That's where, that's where this let market ask, rallied this year. Let me ask year. you, absent, uh, absent, absent the, the summer AI boom and all of the stuff that thankfully we got from, let's say, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Oracle, Amazon, that, like absent that, uh, we probably would have had earnings that were worse than how they came in. And actually, uh, I, I, if, I you, look outside, if you look yeah. outside, well, I, I, I mean, these are the biggest Josh, components in, in the index. Here, here's, I get where you're going, but I think you'll agree with me that the problem when we start slicing and dicing is, okay, I could say, well, if we took out energy earnings this year, you know, if you want to if you want to say it's all on Fang, I mean, there's legitimacy to what you're saying. I'm going to say, OK, well, if you take out energy, well, tech, tech is 30 percent of the market, though. Energy isn't. So well, I'm not, not cherry, in terms I'm of not cherry picking. Wait, no, no, I'm not accusing you of anything. But in terms of earnings contribution, technology is a heck of a lot less than but its we're not buying leader. earnings. We're buying stocks. We're well, buying stocks. You're buying stocks based on earnings. But you're buying stocks based on earnings. That's yeah. at the end of the day. That's what we're they doing. Don't, that's they, what don't, we're they don't necessarily move in the same direction. Yes, do they, they do. Over the long term. Yes, they do. Over the long the term, time, they absolutely any... do. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, because coming up, we have another big committee move to get to. The Dow stock that Jim Labenthal is buying, it's down nearly 20% this year. We'll tell you what it is in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Dow's down 363, as you see. Uh, got six names today that are in the green, right? Six, yeah. Uh, Nike's one of them, and Jim Labenthal's buying Nike. Why? Um, there's a simple truth in equity investing, Scott, and for everybody listening. Buy great companies. And if you get the opportunity to buy a great company at a good price, do it. 
Sometimes this backfires. Disney is a case. There's a reason I'm bringing up Disney here. If you look at a three-year chart of Nike versus Disney, they're almost identical. The difference is Nike is not going through an industry transformation. It's going through some things over the last year and a half that it has cleaned up. Inventories were one. Inventories are down 10% as of the last earnings call. China is another. China's starting to grow again, again, looking at the last earnings call. Uh, finally, a lot of things that have held this back it, that apply to margins, and you're seeing costs go down. It's a great brand. It's a great company. I'm getting it at a good price, and I'm very happy to get that? it. How do you know that? Well, why historically. Do think, why do you think that? Because I've invested in Nike for over 30 years. I've been in and out several times, and I know I've said this before, and people are like, why this number? I'm just telling you, historically, getting it at 24 times forward earnings, which is roughly where it is right now, has been a win for me. I have it. It's closer to 27 forward P.E. Uh, I, I have 24. it at 24 uh -huh. using fact set, but whatever. You know, it could be it's on a, it's on a weird year, Scott. So you, yeah. if you're looking at 2025. I'm, I'm just written on my thing. Okay, that's all, that's all good. Um, there's but, one problem with the By the way, the 10-year average is 28 times. So if, there's if well, it was 35 times, in January. Yeah, that's right. Maybe there's one totally problem with the purchase. As a result. It's a terrible chart. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm trying to jump in front of Josh here. It's a terrible chart. So I've bought a little. I will add to it over time. It all depends on what you think EBIT margins can do. There's a forward PE right there near 27. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at fact um, Josh Brown, we watched the stock go down. Yeah. You said you were looking at it. Uh, you were thinking about yeah. it as Not of yet. last week. What do you make of Jim's it's buy? It's the same thing. I, I, I want Jim to make all the money in the world, and I think, given enough time, he will. It's the same chart as Disney. These are both... Great companies. I appreciate Jim pointing out the fundamental distinction of what Disney is weathering versus Nike. I agree. It's not the same situation. Um, I look. I I said before the earnings, the stock was uh, 90. I said I think it it gets to 80 before it gets to 100. I still feel that way. It got close to 100 after reporting. Gave up like half the gain. It just feels so heavy to me. And uh, Disney, you know, I said Disney with a seven handle, I'll get interested when it was at 90. Now it's 79 today. Still not interested. But I'm saying, like, these stocks are just heavy and they have the same shareholder base. It's the same type of person who buys Home Depot, Nike, Disney. These are amazing companies. Nobody would disagree. Just technically, they feel really, really heavy. Okay. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I think there's a better chance later. Let me get a thought from you, Steph. For me, it's all about EBIT margins um, because freight costs are coming down, raw costs are coming down, um, and inventories are coming down. And that's going to be very powerful for operating leverage if the demand, if sales can stay strong. And with China coming back, I think that's pretty exciting. Two, now, two quarters in a row of double-digit growth in China. That's really impressive. Sorry, you think now's the time to buy it? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've, I've, I, own, I own it higher, unfortunately, but I do think for the long term, I, I think they're in very good shape. They're gaining market share, substantial market share, um, and they are, actually can also increase price. Average selling prices were up in every single region um, last quarter. All right. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha.
Hi, Scott. The Biden administration announced that major drug companies have agreed to price negotiations with the federal government. Companies include Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services named those first 10 prescription drugs that will face negotiations with the federal government to determine prices for some of the most expensive medications. Final prices are not expected until September of 2024. President Biden called leaders of U.S. allies, the European Union and NATO, to convey American support for Ukraine today. Congress recently passed a package to avoid a government shutdown that included no new aid for Ukraine, sparking doubts of future support. The call comes as European Union leaders meet in Kyiv to show public support for the war effort. And the United Nations Security Council voted to send a multinational armed force to Haiti to help combat rising gang violence. Forces led by Kenya will be in country for one year. This is the first time in 20 years a force will be deployed to Haiti. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, appreciate it. Thank you, Bertha Coombs. Up next, well, we have more committee moves to get to. It's just one of those days. I've got some action all over the place. Josh Brown. He's selling an energy stock. We'll talk about it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. A lot of red on the board today, that's for sure. We do have another move to get to. It's Josh Brown, and he is selling Rig, Transocean. Talk to us. Uh, it was a trade, and uh, there's a sell discipline there when it's not an investment, and the stock was on the verge of breaking out and then failed. I now think there is risk uh, down to the mid-sevens, where there's a little bit of support going back a few months ago. I'm going to keep my eye on it. I think fundamentally the company is doing the right thing. They did a $300 million debt offering. They have fixed the balance sheet, and now they are funding future growth. So I have no issue with the company itself from a, a, a stock trade perspective. Um, the, the failed breakout is all I need to see. Again, it's a greatest hits environment right now. This is not where you want to have your third and fourth best stocks on the board. Uh, Jimmy, you own it. Um, great explanation for why he sold it. Trading discipline, technicals, I totally get it. Fundamentals, and I, I hear Josh agreeing with me. Fundamentally, I really like this story. By the way, that $300 million debt offering at 8%. 
All right, that is not a high, high yield, risky company. This is a company that is doing well. And the thing that I'm looking for, and Josh knows this, this is not a disagreement. The thing that I'm looking for is one third of their fleet is cold stacked. And that has to come back on the markets because the rest of the rig fleet globally is pretty much contracted at this point in time. So that's the catalyst that I'm looking for is those cold stacked rigs coming back into the market with contract announcements. That's the catalyst I'm looking for to break the technical trend that Josh is talking about. Steph, no rig, but you got Chevron, Diamondback, SLB. You're yep. very overweight energy. I am. I'm 10% of my portfolio. I might trim it's a like little double, bit. Like double, right? That's double yeah, the, du the market? Yeah, double the double market. So um, I still like energy very much. I still like the stocks that I own. So yeah, maybe I trim if we see a, a rally. But you know, these, the, the, the industry has actually pulled back 5% from the highs. I'm more inclined to go the other way, right? Like if we see another 5%, because I do like these companies very much, Slumberjay would be the one that is my favorite at this moment. All right. So uh, we'll take another break. Uh, we'll come back with another move. Um, in fact, it's part of our call of the day. We'll talk about it with Steph uh, after this. Stephanie Link, let's talk about this move you made. Uh, you bought more Amex, yeah. AXP. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell us why? Well, it's down 17% from its high, right? And uh, I, But I do feel good about the earnings, the E, right? So the PE is actually now at 13 times, which historically the stock has traded at 17 to 18 times. I like their business mix, uh, which is 80% fees, 20% net interest income, so we don't have to worry about the yield curve. And they did just release August loan data that was up 18% in the month alone, year over year. So I think the consumer is going to hang in. I think they're gaining market share, and I like the valuation. All right, Morgan Stanley, they like the stock. Um, they're super bullish. I mean, super bullish. Yeah. They raised the price target <laughs> to 188. You know where it was before that? Yes. 185. <laughs> At least it's going in the right direction. Bullish. They're we, growing more bullish. It's going in the right direction. Could be worse. <laughs> Couldn't resist. I know. Uh, OK, uh, here's a call. Delta, price target gets cut. Jimmy, mm -hmm. uh, to 40 from 50. So you got cost pressures. Think about oil, mm -hmm. right? I mentioned Alaska earlier. You can throw up, if you take a look at this, you could throw up Alaska too. Um, same deal. So these companies have been optimistic with their earnings, right? We all get it. People were traveling. What's the story though now? Yeah, I, I like the way you set that up because I think what the market is saying, yeah, people have been traveling like crazy, right? We're 6% on a trailing seven-day basis, 6% in, in total airline traffic above pre-pandemic level. And we've been at that level for a while. So people are traveling, but the market thinks it's going to end at any point in time. I think this still goes back to well, how much of down. a slowdown. Okay, slow exactly. Down. How much of a slowdown. But I'm not sure, Scott, that it does slow down. And here's why, and this is the crux of everything in the markets right now. Job strength, inflation coming down, real average hourly earnings going up. I think people continue to travel. I mean, we've been talking about travel falling off for a year now, and it just hasn't. So, yeah, that's so fair. let me, just, and, let me and, sum and it up. That's so true. By the way, the transports uh, below their 200-day on, on an interim yeah. basis. Yeah, just Terrible. yet another one of those Terrible. tension points yeah. in the market today. Terrible. But I, and uh, let me sum it up by saying this. Yeah, the cost pressures are real. That's a fact. 
but the top line looks like it's going to grow if what I just said about uh, average hourly earnings on a real basis and jobs continues to be the case. Okay, I was going to move on until I noticed this line from Stephanie Link, who owns Boeing, like you do. <laughs> I would not, this is a quote, I would not own an airline. Thanks, Patty. <laughs> um, no, I would not. Exactly. I th- I think Thanks, that Patty, for putting that in <laughs> Thanks, there. Patty. Giving me more material here. <laughs> I just, I think they're trading vehicles, and I'm just not good at that, right? And, and they are um, so focused on oil and what happens with oil. I have no problem with your demand problem. No problem whatsoever. I agree with you. I just think it's hard when th- times are good. These companies can't really outperform. So when you have these headwinds with oil, I just think it's challenging. That's the point, right? So here you've had the most incredible period of air travel that I think any of us in our lifetimes almost can remember, okay? They've talked nonstop, Bastion, all these CEOs, okay? Demand's not letting up. We're selling tickets like it's popcorn. The stock's up 9% year to date. Frustrating, point. frustrating, frustrating. If Steph's point, yeah. if not now, when? Uh, look, it's a good point, and she and I agree on a lot of things. Mm. It's good, healthy one. We once in a while disagree. I'll simply say this. The companies are making money. There are positive cash flows, and you know what they're doing with those positive cash flows. They're paying down debt to a degree that the airline industry, frankly, hasn't seen in my lifetime. These companies are getting healthy on a financial basis, and that's what I think may actually turn these into less of a trading vehicle and more of a long-term investment. Am I hanging myself if I am, come back and you'll find but out. But I mean, just address that one point, though. Okay, paying down debt, that's all good. Everybody wants a more healthy balance sheet, obviously. But if not now, when? If you're going through the biggest air travel boom in our lifetimes post-COVID, yep. and the stock still isn't really doing much, it's underperforming the market at large. I'll go back to where I started. I think it's underperformance has to do with this question of are we headed into a recession or not? Slow down. This stock is ridiculously underpriced. Recession? It's probably appropriately priced. Uh, but as I've been saying for quite some time, I see a slowdown, yes, from an incredibly high growth rate. I don't see a recession with the economic statistics coming out. Okay. I mean, look at the PEs, right? Steph, yeah, under six. six. Under six. You know what they remind me of? They, oh, I don't trust You know what they remind me of? You, do, you, you want me to finish? Yeah, want other finish stocks have PEs around okay. five and six. You want me to finish this? Ford. 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 It's a good day on Cleveland the show, Cliffs. folks. Right? It's a good day on the show, oh, I, folks. I wasn't I'm even, glad you're I, watching. I thought that's you were going. I wasn't going there. Did you think I was going there? No, I thought you were going to say GM. <laughs> Which I did. Josh, quick. No. The answer is no. No. For no reason. No what? No, no airline own? stocks, never, well, <laughs> unless you're trading it. There's no long-term investment in airlines, enough already. All right, we'll, uh, we'll come back with Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, his midday words next. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, yeah, here with me. Um, just doesn't seem too complicated, uh, clearly, right? Yeah. Uh, transport's having trouble. Yeah. Uh, utilities, brutal. Rates up, stocks down. There's, a, there's a, a familiarity to it. Let me try to draw a little bit of nuance, Please, yeah. which is today. And that's what you do better than anybody, well, so yes. Look, today the bond market was at least reacting to a piece of fundamental news. It wasn't just vague, too much supply, down, momentum downward in, in bond prices. 
there are no buyers. The Chinese are selling. It was all this kind of looking at all the ghosts. Why, why the yields going up today? Part of the story is bonds at under four percent were in the wrong spot for the economy we have and what the Fed's been telling us forever. So we at least have that. It doesn't help in terms of stocks trying to absorb it necessarily. Um, and so now you're in the game of have we started to get more washed out? And you look at the extremes in the breath numbers and maybe uh, on the borderline of that. And last week I was saying how everybody watching for a 20 VIX and we stopped at 19.7 and now we kind of tack on. So it's a little incremental. I do think that there's something interesting about there's no one part of the market that stands out as getting excessively punished today. I was just looking at small caps, equal weight, NASDAQ 100, S&P 500, all down about the same amount. Mm -hmm. It's just a one point something percent haircut across the board. So we reprice. Everyone wants the the yields to kind of burn themselves out on the upside to see what we really have in the way of a a fundamental backdrop and then figure out how we we price things off. I quoted you earlier when you said this morning, this really this is a day where there's no place to hide. It's looked like that. Yeah. I mean, so you get a little bit of a bounce maybe in some utilities today and in some of the traditional defensives are starting to wake up. Um, But no, in general, it's it's basically what's fascinating, though, is we were so fixated as and I certainly was about the market's panic that the economy can't handle rates up here. Right. That was what I was saying for two weeks. And now it's August jolts. You don't know if that's what today's economy is, but. It's sort of a different narrative right now, which is if the economy is going to hang in there, higher for longer is with us, but also makes sense. And this is what the Fed told you was going to happen. Yeah. And what the Fed, I think you can say, wants to happen. Uh, and then we'll see what happens from here. Well, we'll see what happens. That's what the market's afraid of, because at some point people feel like, well, there's going to be a policy mistake if we go too much longer with this. Um, but we'll see. Look, yeah. 12 of them said they expect another hike this year in the September meeting. So the fact that they're coming out publicly and saying we probably need one more hike doesn't tell you anything you didn't know three weeks ago. No, but they've, you know, for a while, though, the, the market um, moved in a different direction right. from the Fed. Right now we're coming more into line, which is the jarring nature of what we've witnessed. I'll see you on closing bell. All right, right, it's Mike Santoli. Final trades are next. Well, this is going to be an interesting one on closing bell today. Um, Dow right now down about 345. So we'll track every tick right into the end, both in yields and stocks. With Kevin Gordon of Schwab, Jessica Inskip, Malcolm Etheridge, they'll all be with me, so I hope you'll join me then, just a couple hours from now. Uh, by the way, uh, congrats to Stephanie Link and Jim Labenthal. Uh, Barron's ranks their top 100 RIA firms of 2023. Hightower, number two. Serity Partners, number 11. So, uh, good stuff. Let's do final trades. Uh, Josh Brown, what you got? Uh, remember what I said about greatest hits. I'm watching high-quality situations like Starbucks. I think there will be an opportunity there in the 80s. I may end up owning it. Steph, you used to own Starbucks? Right? I used to own Starbucks. Why did you it. give up on it? I took profits, actually, and I actually used those profits to buy Nike, more Nike. Similar issues, right? Yeah. China mm-hmm. for both. I still like it very much. If it pulls back, I'd, Starbucks? I'd buy it. Yeah. I still like it very much, but I just needed cash to buy more Nike. Nike was down more than Starbucks. Okay. Uh, what's your final trade? Cisco, it's a new position, for, fairly new position for me. It's down 7% from its highs, trades at 13 times forward estimates, and I really like the Splunk acquisition, where software is going to be 55% of recurring revenue. So I think it's uh, value. 
Jimmy? I totally agree on both of those calls, by the way. Uh, well, Mike, you own Cisco. Yep. Uh, that Splunk acquisition is is transformational, yeah. I think. And Starbucks, we got to keep an eye on it. Boeing, look, I know this has been disappointing over the last month or so, but look at the news today that in the next year and a half, they think they're going to get 737 production up to 57 a month. That is big. That's meaningful, and that's around the corner. Okay. So I will see you. Thank you for watching. Um, thanks, guys. Thank you. I will see everybody on Closing Bell. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.